0: All right, let's continue. So now his son Absalom has kicked him out of his house, kicked him off his throne, and sent him packing. Which is why Ruth Allen told us last week. And now we've moved forward a few chapters. We're well into Absalom's rebellion. David has exited Jerusalem. Absalom has come in and is sitting on his father's throne. We've had a few characters briefly introduced last weekend that we haven't heard a lot about, but they're going to come into play today. This is some chaos going on right now, reflecting David's world with all this wind. So we're going to introduce a few of these characters, and we're going to test some of your movie knowledge, considering, again, I don't have slides so you can't see their pictures. So we'll see who knows the people I'm talking about here. So first is Ahithophel, which Ruth Ellen aptly described as a very wise man. He was David's counselor, advisor, would give David advice. Ahithophel is like Yoda, so we're going to do another Star Wars reference. He's like Yoda, very wise. He's not little and green, but he's a very wise man, except now that he's switched from David's side and he's helping out Absalom. So he's an evil Yoda. So if I had a slide, you'd see Yoda with devil horns that I made in paint. So, just so you can picture that in your mind. Then we also have Hushai, who David had sent back to Jerusalem to kind of confuse the mind of Absalom, telling Ahithophel, countering Ahithophel's advice. And Hushai, now this is the really obscure reference, so we'll see who gets this, is like Grimal Wormtug. Who knows who Grammar Wormtongue is? Hands up. Oh, we got a couple. Where's he from? He's from uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, two towers. Gandalf, Aragorn, Legolas, that whole crew comes in to come to the king of Theodon. And there's Wormtongue sitting next to the king and just corrupting his mind. Speaking these little words into his mouth and causes him to look quite old and disheveled and mutters. So that's who Pashai is like, except, again, Pashai is a good guy, he's helping David. So in paint, or on the slide, you would see Grima Wormtongue with a halo above his head. So if you don't know the character, then just imagine a kind of a creepy guy, really pale, kind of sweaty, long, gross, greasy hair, with a halo above his head. So he's the other guy. We also have the priests Zadok and Abathar who David sends back with the Ark so the Ark could stay in Jerusalem, and they're keeping an eye of things. They're kinda unger- undercover. So here is another reference that I'm sure a few of you will get, maybe some of the younger kids won't get. They're undercover cops, they're like Starsky and Hutch. There we go. So again, slide, we would've had two pictures. We would've had the old Starsky and Hutch, and then we would've had Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller, just to hit all your generations here. All right, and then we have their sons, Jonathan and Ahiamaz. They're spies. They're sending the information to David. These guys are James Bond. Everyone should know who James Bond is. And Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible. So there you go. You might not know the character's name. I had to look it up. So we're going to see these roles come into play in our narrative as we go to 2 Samuel 17. So if you have these lovely Bibles that are available there. I have picked one, so I can tell you that chapter 17 starts on page 310. So you can flip to that if you want and follow along, because there again, there's no slides. So we're going to start in verse 1, and this is Ahithophel who's advising Absalom. Absalom's taking the throne. He's trying to decide what he's going to do next. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men and set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to the elders of Israel. So... Ahithophel, evil Yoda, tells Absalom that he will take a small army and go out and attack David while he's mourning and he's running away and, man, it's hot in the sun. And he says, that's what we're going to do. And they all think, yeah, that's a pretty good plan. But Absalom wants to hear the advice of Hushai, who's also a pretty good advisor to David. And so he brings in Hushai. And Asshai starts his job of corrupting the advice of Ahithophel. He says, you know what? Ahithophel, he's a pretty smart guy. But he's got it all wrong this time. David's probably holed up in some fortress. And even if he's not, he's not going to be sleeping with his troops. He's going to be like in a cave, guarded. So you can't just sneak in and kill him. He's also really angry and he's a mighty warrior you just took away his throne he's not grieving his men are angry and so they're gonna fight you hard and if some of your troops die they're gonna be the ones that run away because they all know that David is just a mighty warrior and he says this is what you should do Absalom don't listen to Ethophel. you should gather the entire army of Israel that mighty army and you yourself should lead them into battle. We will come upon David with our mighty numbers and crush him. And if he's hiding in a fortress then you have all the people already to just tear down that fortress and get him. So whose advice is better? Yoda's or worm tongues? Well Yoda's advice, Ahithophel's advice is better for three reasons. The first reason is he keeps Absalom out of danger. Absalom will just be hanging out in Jerusalem while he goes out with a smaller army to get David. And Heshai wants to put him right in the middle of the battle. The second reason that his is better is that it went along better with the character of David. David was mourning and weeping. He didn't really want to fight back. He was accepting this as the punishment upon himself for what he did with Bathsheba. And so if they attacked him then, they would have a fighting chance. They're demoralized. is lying. He knows what David's is like because he saw David out in the wilderness and then came back. So he lies to counter that advice, saying that he's angry. And thirdly, They weren't going to be holed up in a fortress. And David's not really the kind of king that when he's out hiding to separate himself from his troops, he'd be sleeping with the troops most likely. So they could sneak in and get him. So why then, if the Hithophel's advice is so much better than Hashai's, why did he decide to go with Hashai's advice? Well, Hashai appealed to the character of Absalom. (laughs) Absalom liked pomp and ceremony. He had a feast to celebrate the shearing of his sheep, which is kind of a weird thing because he's a shepherd. They shear their sheep all the time. So why would you celebrate something that's so routine? And his brothers were like, yeah, we'll go to that. Kind of thinking maybe he did a lot of these kind of feasts because they didn't even question why he would have such a feast. So they go out and this is very like super villain-esque that he does here, invites all his brothers out so he can kill one of his brothers at this grand feast in front of all the other brothers and they all run away for obvious reasons and he's doing this to take revenge on his brother Amnon for what he did to his sister Tamar and we also see that Absalom is known for his good looks and his fabulous hair he, if Absalom was alive today he'd be sporting a man bun and that's what he would have He was just this really good-looking guy that all the ladies liked to listen to, and all the men liked to listen to as well. And so he would have that bun bun. And we also see that when he was brought back to Jerusalem and reconciled with David, as Ruth Ellen told us last week, he goes out in a chariot with his 50 bodyguards, quite the display of his return. And so this is what Hashai tells him to do, is to put on that show, that display of power, get that mighty army of Israel that's famous throughout the land, and lead them yourself into battle. Put on that power show. So this is the crew that Absalom has surrounded himself with. He has his father's advisors, which probably aren't very trustworthy guys in the first place. He can't tell who's telling him good advice and who's telling him bad advice, because of what he just did to his father he doesn't know if he can trust these guys but he has no choice he has no one else that he can go to because he can't go to his father obvious reasons, he's trying to kill him he kicked him off his throne he can't go to his brother. brothers again, obvious reason, he killed one of his brothers in front of the rest of them so there's no blaming them why they might be a little hesitant to come to Absalom when he asked the people liked Absalom but they like listening to him, and it's like one of those people, the really popular people. I have all the friends. Do you teenagers know this? But a lot of those times, you get the sense that person really cares more about themselves than the people that they're around with. Absalom cared more about what he looked like, what people thought of him, and he didn't have that genuine care for the people around him. So the people probably didn't have. A genuine care for him. Absalom was narcissistic, and you contrast this with who David surrounded himself with. We have Hushai and Zadok and Abithar, his worm tongues, Darti and Hutch, and these guys are all willing to risk their lives for David. They, if they get found out that they're passing information to David, that Hushai is purposely giving bad advice to David, they are dead. Absalom will kill them. And then their sons, Jonathan and Ahimez, are hiding outside of Jerusalem. Because even if they get spotted, they will be put to death. And they almost do get spotted while hiding out there. But they hide successfully. They get the message of what Ahithophel had advised Absalom to do. And they run to David and tell him, get to the other side of the Jordan. Just in case Ahithophel comes with his army for you. You'll be safe on the other side of the Jordan. So David gets to the other side safely, and Absalom doesn't follow Ahithophel's advice. He's too busy now trying to mobilize the entire army of Israel. So that buys David some time to get across and prepare for the battle that's coming. And then we see that David doesn't have just five people willing to lay down their lives for them, but thousands of troops. And we also see that David is better at discerning the advice that he gets than Absalom. We're going to flip to the next chapter, chapter 18. And we're going to see now as David is getting prepared for Absalom, who's coming with the army of Israel. And we're doing verse 1. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent the troops out, a third under the command of Joab, a third under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zeruiah, and a third under Ittai the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. But the men said, You must not go out. If we are forced to flee, they won't care about us. Even if half of us die, they won't care. But you are worth 10,000 of us. It would be better now for you to give us support from the city. The king answered, I will do whatever seems best to you. So the king stood beside the gate while all the men marched out in units of hundreds and thousands. Thousands of troops don't want David to go out on the battlefield because they want him to be safe in the city. The advice that Ahithophel gave Shai was to stay back because he wanted Hishai, or Absalom to be safe. And David listens to this advice. He's the king. He doesn't have to listen to these little troops telling him what to do. He can do what he wants. But he knows that that's the best advice. Not the advice he likes best, but what needs to be done to keep him safe and to keep more of his people safe. If he's out on the battlefield and everyone is focusing on trying to kill him, when he dies, his troops are going to panic and run away, and more of them will die. You see, David's genuine care for the people shine through again. As he tells his generals, for my sake, deal gently with Absalom. Even though his son is trying to kill him, he wants to see his son all right still. His care goes outside of himself, and goes for the people around him. It was up to David. He would die instead of Absalom. It's Saul all over again. Saul's chasing David across the wilderness, wants David dead, but David doesn't want to see Saul dead. Has two opportunities to kill Saul, but doesn't take it. He thinks outside of himself. While Absalom's out on the battlefield, and Absalom's not a warrior, he's a shepherd, he didn't have training as a fighter. And he's riding a mule, which isn't really a war horse, it's slightly smaller. And by riding a mule, we see again Absalom's vanity. Israel was not allowed to breed mules, because in Leviticus it says, do not mate two different kinds of animals. And what is a mule? A donkey and a horse. they weren't allowed to breed a donkey and a horse and make a mule but there's nothing that says they can't use mules and so they could buy mules or often kings from other kingdoms would give the king of israel a mule and so the mules were used for travel and became a symbol of kingship and royalty so by riding a mule into battle we see two things with absalom first He thinks this battle is gonna be a breeze. He's not even gonna have to be near the battle lines. He can just kinda sit on his mule and watch the battle and they'll be fine. And secondly, he's doing that power show again. Look at my mighty army of Israel, the multiple, many, many troops I have, and here I am riding on a mule, symbol that I am the king, I oversee all of this. This is my power. Well, he's out in the forest, and things aren't going quite as planned. His troops are losing. They're running through the forest. It says the forest is actually killing more people than the sword is because it's such a thick vegetation. And he happens to come across some of David's troops. And in verse 9, it says, During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree and his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. Absalom's running around in the forest and his vanity catches up to him. The thing he cared so much about, that luxurious, beautiful man bun is caught in a tree, and the humbling event of dangling like a pinata is occurring. Which maybe this is the moment that Absalom needs to get off his high mule or his high horse and be humbled by being like a pinata and come to David and apologize and reconcile. But that's not going to happen because good old Joab comes along. And we've seen that Joab, he's loyal to David, but he likes to take things into his own hands. So if you remember way back near the beginning of our series, Abner, who was the general of the king of Israel, who was trying to fight for that throne with David, decided he was going to switch sides to David. And David said, yeah, come along. You can be one of my generals. But Abner had killed one of Joab's brothers. And so Joab decides that he wants revenge. And despite being commanded by David not to kill Joab, he kills Joab. He takes justice into his own hands. Just like we saw last week with Absalom killing his brother Amnon because of what he did to Tamar, taking justice into his own hands, it happens again and Joab takes justice into his hands. Joab shouldn't even be around anymore after he killed Abner. David should have learned his lesson and thought, you know, maybe this guy is not really trustworthy and removed him from power. Well, one of David's men sees Absalom dangling, humiliated, in a tree. And this is how the conversation goes. He goes to tell Joab. And he says to Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What, Joab demanded? You saw him there, and you didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver, the man replied to Joab. We all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, and the king would certainly find out who did it, you yourself would be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three daggers and plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive from the great tree. 10 of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Joab decides to execute justice himself. It all comes back to David again not dealing out justice. When Ab, Ab, blah, 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 lots of Ab's names in here. When Joab killed Abner, Joab should have been removed as general. When Amnon did what he did to his sister Tamar, David should have punished Amnon. When Absalom killed Amnon, David should have stuck with his punishment of exiling Absalom, but instead brought him back. And now it all comes down to this, Joab killing Absalom. And Joab even goes further, rebelling against David, and doesn't just kill Absalom with his knife, but three of his knives and ten other knives of ten other people. So now David doesn't even know who actually killed Absalom, and that prevents further justice. Thus ends Absalom's Rebellion. What can we take away from this two chapters that we just went through? There's a lot of themes in here again, like last week, but I've put it down to three for you, which hopefully you can remember because I had lovely pictures again. And like, seriously, this, this PowerPoint, as far as you know, the greatest PowerPoint ever made. So, takeaway number one, Who do we surround ourselves with? David surrounds himself with people who want to see the best for him. People are willing to lay down their lives for him, which Jesus later says, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends. Do you surround yourself with people who want to see you exceed? Do they build you up with their words or are they bringing you down with their words? Are they good enough friends to speak firmly in your life when you're going off path, or are they just yes C.S. Lewis had a friend in J.R. Tolkien, another Lord of the Rings reference, there you go, who pointed into Christ. They both shared this love for mythology, Greek mythology, Nordic mythology, any kind of mythology, they loved it. And one day, Lewis, who's at this point, calls himself a staunch atheist, says to Tolkien, that mythology is just lies and therefore worthless, even though they're told through silver, these pretty words. And Tolkien responds to him and says, they're not lies. Sometimes they're just the only way that these civilizations could portray the truth. And he shows them how these myths all point to Jesus. So many of these myths reflect what Jesus came and did with his death and resurrection. And this is before Jesus, and this is God even reaching into those civilizations and showing them Jesus who was to come. And this changes Lewis's thoughts and sets him down the path to Christ. He's surrounded with good friends pointing to Christ. You have friends that are guiding you to Christ. And a good place to start surrounding yourself with people that are gonna speak positive influence into your lives is to join a small group. I've been involved in small groups for like at least 10 years, whether leading or just a part of them. And you see tremendous growth in yourself and the people around you in both the relationships with Christ and the relationships with people. I cannot stress enough how important small groups have been in my life and how important small groups have been in the lives of so many of my friends. And so if you're not in a small group, Tyler Harper is a lovely person to talk to, and he will get you plugged in with some people who are going to speak positive words into your life that are going to bring you closer to Christ. Who do you surround yourself with? That's takeaway one. Takeaway two, how do we discern the advice that we are given? David humbles himself, even though he's the king, and listens to the advice of his soldiers. Not because he likes the advice better, he'd rather be on the battlefield. But because he knows it's the best advice for him. Absalom listens to two pieces of advice and picks the one that he likes best, not the one that he needed to listen to. If he had listened to Ahithophel, our Bible would be completely different. He would be king and David would be dead. And we need to discern every piece of advice that we get. Because we can get a good advice from bad people in our lives and bad advice from the good people. Joab is a bad person in David's life but in chapter 19 he gives him really good advice. David is understandably mourning and grieving his son but he does it so much that the troops that risk their lives for them are feeling discouraged and abandoned and Joab says to David you know what you need to get yourself together for these people just risk their lives for you. So David collects himself and thanks his troops and boosts that morale how do you discern the advice that is spoken to your lives do you pick what you like best or do you take it and see what scripture has to say does that advice that you're given line up with God's will and God's word are you looking to God for wisdom or to the world how do you discern the advice you're given And the last takeaway, takeaway three: What walls do we put up preventing people from speaking through our lives? Absalom's vanity and desire to please people stopped him from hearing Ahithophel's good advice. What is your man bun? No. No, no man bun. You got a little bit of growing to do. You can start working now. By the time you're in high school, it'll be great. Is it your fear of criticism that's stopping? No. No? Okay, good. That's stopping people from speaking into your life? From people giving you that word that you need to hear? Is it your self-centeredness? Absalom and David were both well-liked. People would follow Absalom and people would follow David. But because Absalom cared more about himself, when things go bad for Absalom, people aren't going to follow him. Because David cared more about the people around him. When things went bad for David, he gets kicked out of the kingdom. Thousands and thousands of people follow him into exile and into the wilderness and lay their dives down for him. Maybe you're thinking too much about you and you need to start looking at the people around you. And they will also pour into your lives. It's a mutual speaking of wisdom. What are you holding on to that's stopping you from hearing God's wisdom? Because it could catch you dangling in a tree like a pinata. Absalom's man bun, his hair, was a representation of his need for people to like him and be impressed by him, and God used it as his downfall. Give those things to God so he can use them. We're going to go into worship now, and you can take this time to reflect on those three takeaways. Think, who do I surround myself with? Good or bad people? How do I discern the advice I'm given in the situation I'm in? What are the walls that I've put up? Pray through these things. Pray with someone around you through these things. Join a small group and you can do this weekly and speak into people's lives and have people speak into your life. If you can't open up to your church family, this body of Christ, open up to. So we're going to do a few songs there. My voice made it. Yes. Thank you.